Welcome to Ominous Ones. I'm Connor. I'm Tara. We're a true crime murder mystery podcast about all things spooky. This episode will have graphic content. Viewer discretion is advised. This week we will be discussing the mysterious death and currently open case of Ray Omar Rivera, born June 10, 1983, to Angel and Maria Rivera. He was a happily married, fun-loving, outgoing, successful 32-year-old man when he went missing and ended up dead. He worked as a writer for the Oxford Club as a video contractor. Him and his wife Allison relocated to Baltimore from California for work. He was a writer and videographer for his longtime friend Porter Stansberry and his investment company Stansberry and Associates Investment Research. Ray had stopped working for them six months before his death in May 2006, but he was working freelance for Agora Publishing, which is Stansberry's company's which Stansberry's company was a subsidiary of. The two nights before Ray went missing, his home alarm system was triggered. The first time he flew down the stairs past his wife with a baseball bat as she got up to turn the alarm off. Allison states that he was never afraid of anything, but that night the look of fear in his eyes terrified her. The next night, which was the same day he went missing, it had gone off again, but this time one of the windows looked tampered with. Police were unable to get any fingerprints off of it. Ray went missing on May 16, 2006. That morning, he got up and made his wife breakfast and carried her luggage out to the car for her. She had to catch a flight for an out-of-town business meeting. Before he had gone missing, he was at home in his office and had received a call. Claudia, the Rivera's house guest, who was a colleague of Allison's, she had overheard Ray say, quote, Oh, oh shit, unquote, and rush out of the house. She didn't know what else was said or who was on the other end of the call. Allison thought this was strange that she hadn't heard from him, but waiting until the next morning to talk to Claudia again, who told her that Ray was still not home and she hadn't heard from him either. At this point, Allison knew something was wrong. She immediately caught the next flight home. When she arrived at home, she found a half-eaten bag of chips, a soda, and his Invisalign on the counter in the kitchen. She put word out that he was missing. Ray's parents were in Puerto Rico where they lived and flew in the following day. Ray's brother flew in from Orlando immediately after talking to Allison. He also stated that this was way out of the ordinary for Ray. Then Allison's parents also flew in the following day to assist in the search for Ray. The search had been going on for several days by the time Allison's parents found his car in a parking lot off of St. Paul Street in Mount Vernon, which was close to his workplace. This particular parking lot had a parking attendant, and there were several parking tickets under his windshield wipers dated since the day he went missing. So they knew he hadn't left wherever his destination was that afternoon. They narrowed in the search for him to the surrounding areas where his car, where his car was located. By this time, the police were involved because now they had something to go off of. They had torn the car apart searching for clues and found nothing. His co-workers, strongly in my opinion, seemed guilty of something immediately went to the top of a parking structure that overlooked the Belvedere Hotel. When they looked over this side, they saw a hole slash a dark spot on the south side lower level of roof of the hotel. They then immediately alerted authorities. This is strange to me, for one, because I saw the footage and the photos from the parking structure. You could not tell that it was a hole from that distance. It looked like just a dark area, like maybe even an oil spot but somehow they knew it was a hole. For Also, why would they know to immediately go up there? And why would they immediately contact the police? 
even if they could tell it was a hole? How would they know that anybody went through it? Like, this was an old building. There are holes in a lot of old buildings. So how would they know, like, oh, the body must have gone through that? Anyways, after discovering the hole, they tracked down the location to a conference room where they discovered Ray's partially decomposed body on May 26, 2006. The security guard who had unlocked the door for the police remembers vividly the smell and the body. He says sometimes when he opens doors to this day, he still sees it. His injuries, Rivera's injuries included multiple broken ribs, punctured lungs, lacerations, damage to the skull, and two breaks in his legs where the bone was protruding out. His glasses and phone had minimal damage and were located next to the hole on the lower roof. The medical examiner marked his death as undetermined because although the injuries were consistent with a fall from a great height, he also had some injuries that were inconsistent and couldn't be explained. Allison said, quote, I met with the med- medical examiner and I closed the door and she said, I know what they are trying to do and we are not closing this case. They said that what wasn't inconsistent with the fall was the way his shins were broken and that's all that they would say, unquote. The hotel's roof was a mansard-style roof, difficult for me to explain. Instead of having a 90-degree downward angle, it was more of an obtuse 120-degree angle and made of metal. There was a considerable distance between the hotel tower and the hotel's lower level where the hole was discovered. It was a 45-foot difference, which looks from an aerial view like a courtyard between the structures. The vertical distance was 177 feet and the building height was 188 feet. So the lower level had to have been around 11 feet high or so. This distance would take 33 seconds to fall from. This theory suggests that if he came from the building's roof, the horizontal distance between one building to the other side would have been 43 feet and his travel speed would have had to have been between 10 to 11 miles per hour to jump that far out. This is an average speed for a male in good shape to run at a fast jog to a sprint in athletic shoes. But Ray was in flip-flops, which means he would have had to start running just over 15 feet away from the edge. But the only access to the roof was through numerous locked doors, including the locked roof door access. In another theory, they say he must have jumped from a ledge several floors down. In this theory, it would have been more difficult for him to access, especially without being seen, considering the rooms had been turned into private condos and offices. The windows on this level were also half windows, so they didn't fully open. It is also said that the building was a maze, so if he jumped off the roof or a ledge or anywhere, he would have had to know how to navigate the building and also get around people working in the building, like off a ledge, would have been through an office or at least a room with people in it. His glasses and phone had minimal damage and were located next to the hole in the lower roof, despite the catastrophic injuries his body sustained from the same fall. Because both of these theories don't have enough solid evidence, the medical examiner marked his death as undetermined to keep the case open. After searching into this case more, they found that the phone call he received that made him leave in such a hurry was placed from the Agora Publishing switchboard, where he worked. Since it came from the switchboard, there was no way to tell exactly which extension placed the call. After the body was found, Porter supposedly would not talk to anyone, police included, and according to Stansbury's publicist, there was an, quote, there was an immediate gag order placed, in other words, direction given to employees to not speak to the press, law enforcement, or any other party, unquote. Upon searching 
the hotel, police had discovered that there was no video footage of the day he went missing. There was footage of the previous days and the following days, but none whatsoever on May 16th. Also, that the rooftop cameras were not working at all. In the Netflix episode of Unsolved Mysteries that went over the case, it was alleged by Ray's wife Allison, his brother Angel, and a retired detective that Porter refused to talk to anyone about the incident and put out a gag order, also referred to as a suppression order, for the whole company to not speak about it. I heard that if the gag order was true, it probably only covered them while they were at work, but I'm not sure how gag orders work or how this one was exactly laid out. After the episode, Porter did answer some questions for the Baltimore Sun, saying he was, quote, shocked and hurt, unquote, end quote. The reason I've never commented about Ray's death publicly, first and foremost, is because I never thought there was any mystery about why or how he died, unquote. The Netflix episode did make it seem like he was suspicious without outright saying it. Ray had gone to work for Porter at Stansbury and Associates Investment Research, allegedly, to help clean up the company's image. They had been involved in a fraud investigation, quote, defendants engaged in an ongoing scheme to defraud public investors by disseminating false information in several internet newsletters published by Agora or its wholly owned subsidiaries such as Pirate. Through various publications, defendants claimed to have inside information about certain public companies. Defendants suggested that its readers could cash in on the inside information and make quick profits. The defendants also offered to sell the inside information to newsletter subscribers for a fee of $1,000, unquote. Ray's job for Porter was to come in and write a column for investors and try to do damage control for the company. Ray did not know much about the finance industry, but was an aspiring movie and script writer, but took Porter up on the offer to move to Baltimore to work for him and wrote the Rebound Report, which went over stocks to buy and things like that. Ray and Porter had been good friends starting around the age of 15. While Allison was searching her home for any clues, she discovered a note. It had been considered into... It had been condensed into one seven-inch-long piece of paper, folded into two inches, and taped to a hard-to-reach area behind the computer. It was also found with a blank check from his video production company. Allison also believed the note was written the day he disappeared because she found scraps cut off into the trash can. I have found the note, but the front, the font is so small and the quality of the picture is so poor that I could only decipher the beginning of it. It starts out, quote, Brothers and sisters, right now, around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight. Whom virtue unites death will not separate, unquote. Allegedly, the last part of that is a Masonic phrase. Note continued, quote, That was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who par participated. I hope you enjoyed it, but it was time to wake up, so here I am. I'd like to welcome those who accepted our invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. I took on this endeavor to find the truth, but not for its own sake in accepting this quest for the truth. I hope to make myself, with the help of others, into a man worthy and ready to receive it. Members of this council, please note that I will lend a careful consideration to the traditional responsibilities in light of these proceedings, and I will satisfy the standard request of this council within the appropriate time. Again, well done to all who participated. I expect the council has invited all the players who gave their lives to this pursuit back so that they might join us here, unquote. Ray continues on naming people that have died and a long list of people he knew and was related to. He also requested 
to make them and himself five years younger. That's as far as I could decipher of the note, and I chose not to name the people, one, because of the privacy reasons, and two, because half of them, I couldn't quite make out the spelling as the font continued to get smaller in the photos of the note. Allison had taken a sentence from his note and typed it into Google, which is how she discovered it was related to the Freemasons, which then escalated speculation that he may have been linked to them or had uncovered hidden information, therefore they eliminated him. He had purchased a book called Freemasons for Dummies in the week before his death. Allison also says that she knew all of the people listed in the note, or at least knew about them, but it was strange because he left out very significant people in his life, and they seemed to be written in no specific order that she could tell. The note was given to the FBI for analysis, and they cleared it as having no suicidal intent and couldn't decipher a code if there was one, but the investigators still ruled his death as a probable suicide. Allison refused to give up searching for clues to her husband's mysterious death. The lead investigator, who just so happened to be a homicide detective on a suicide case, urged Allison to tread cautiously on how she approached people, to watch what kind of questions she was asking, and to watch her back. They still don't know if he had been murdered for something he had uncovered or if he did actually commit suicide. But the detective believed there was still enough evidence to continue investigating the case as a homicide. Just three weeks into the investigation, he was taken off the Rivera case and reassigned to some insignificant smaller case. Allison would call the station all the time to see if there was any news on the case. But after the reassignment, when she called again, the officer that answered said, quote, you need to get it through your head that he killed himself, unquote. And her reply to him was, quote, I will get it through my head when you can show me the proof that he killed himself, unquote. In my opinion, he was probably involved in some secret society and they murdered him. That's why there was no hotel footage the day he went missing. They're probably... They probably had inside officers in the police force, so they reassigned the officer who agreed that it was strange circumstances. His friend got everyone at the company to keep their mouths shut with the gag order. The phone call was untraceable, which is hard to do these days. His best friend stopped answering calls and questions early on in the investigation, and coincidentally, his co-workers just so happened to stumble to the roof of a random parking garage that just so happened to look over the hole in the roof. In my opinion, I think that it was, and this is just speculation, I think it was his friend or his coworkers and something happened. I think the note might have been something he was like coming up with notes for a script or something to do with the movie because at the end of that, I believe that's from the movie The Game. So I don't think the note had much significance. And I think that if his friend was involved, that's why he put in the gag order. Anyways, thanks for listening. Tell all your friends, follow us on social media at Ominous Ones on Facebook and Instagram, and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast station. We appreciate each and every one of you who continue to listen and bear with us as we learn how to successfully how to be successfully entertaining podcasters. Bye.